Uh, would you please turn with me to your study outlines that are there in your program. And we're going to receive our morning gifts and tithes and offerings now. And please, if you're a visitor, don't feel pressured by this time. This is just a chance for those of us that call Purpose Church our home to give generously and sacrificially to spread the message of Jesus, to help hurting people in the name of Jesus here in our own community and different places all around the world. So ushers, come on down. And as they're doing that, as you're turning to your study outline, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online. We are so glad that you're joining us for our study of God's Word as well as our friends at First Baptist Church at Arco, Idaho, and also our friends at Purpose Church, Kalispell, Montana. We are so glad that you're joining us for our study of God's Word. Now today, we are finishing our series called In the Light on the Letters of John. And a couple of weeks ago, Dr. Carl Tony, who's kind of our New Testament scholar in residence here at our church, he came up here, and I'm telling you, in five or six minutes, he gave such an awesome overview of the writings of John. John the, one of the earliest disciples of Jesus, one of the earliest followers of Jesus, the leaders of the early church, the witness to the resurrection. He wrote five books of the Bible. The first one is what we call the Gospel of John. And the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call the Gospels. But really, you could refer to them as the biographies of Jesus. A biography written by Matthew, then Mark, then Luke, and then John wrote a biography telling the story of the life of Jesus. Now, Dr. Carl told us that the first letter of John is kind of written as a theological commentary helping to explain the events in Jesus' life. And then in 2 John, that talks about what happens when false teachings, uh, 1 John is all about true teaching, 2 John is when false teaching tries to infiltrate the church. And then 3 John, the one we're talking about today, talks about what happens when the false teachers take over the church and they're kicking out the true people that are teaching the truth of the gospel. And then the book of Revelation, the fifth book that he wrote, that's about what happens when the whole culture hates Christians, when everybody starts attacking Christians and, and followers of Christ. And that's what the book of Revelation is all about. But today we come to 3 John as we finish up this series. Next Sunday, I'm so excited about the series we've got uh, leading right up to Easter. It's going to be one of those build up to Easter kind of series. It's going to be just awesome, and we will start that next Sunday. Now, 3 John is the shortest book in the Bible. It's only about 200 Greek words. So if you ever want to impress somebody by memorizing an entire book of the Bible, don't pick Psalms, don't pick Jeremiah, uh, pick uh, 3 John. That's the easiest one uh, to memorize. Now, the reason I love this little book, and I, and I hope you're going to love it after 30 or 40 minutes of getting together here and talking about it, this little book gives us a feel for what everyday life was like in the early church. It kind of gives us a peek behind the curtain, behind the scenes, what was everyday life like for followers of Jesus in the early church. And um, it, it talks about the fact that the people of the early church we're going to see are people just like us. They're people just like you and me, just, just like us, with problems just like us. Sometimes we get the idea that people in the early church would just sang, sat around singing kumbaya all the time. Uh, they never got on each other's nerves. They never had personality conflict. They never had obnoxious people. They, they never liked some Christians more than they like other Christians. How many of you like some Christians more than any other Christians? Well, that, oh, nobody's raising their hand except for me. Not me either. I like them all the same. And so at any rate, this little book kind of tells us that the early church was people just like us with problems just like us. 
And so today we're going we're gonna to talk about the four marks of a healthy church. And I'm almost kind of glad that it's a rainy weekend because I know I got the hardcore people here today. And this is kind of a nitty-gritty study. Uh, this, is, this is kind of a, a what's life like within the church and how can we be as healthy as possible. Now when we talk about the four marks of a healthy church, it reminds us of our church. Because our church has been around for 149 years. And I want you to know that is like unheard of for a church to still be thriving. You hear of churches closing all the time after they get to a certain age because most churches are like one generation and then they're gone, maybe two or three generations and then they're gone. You can probably count on one hand how many churches in America have been around for as many as 149 years and are still thriving to the degree that our church is thriving. And so what that means that is over 149 years, there were so many chances to, to mess up, so many chances for us as a church to stumble, so many chances for us to kind of lose our vision, lose our way, uh, lose our purpose, lose our convictions about the truth of God's word. But I believe that over 149 years, we have been doing these four things that we're going to read about in the little book of 3 John, four marks of a healthy church. Number one. A healthy church is a place where new Christians are, they're reached for Christ. There's an outward orientation. That's one of the most important things, is that we live for those outside of our four walls. The church is the only organization in existence that exists for the benefit of its non-members. Or it should, you know, most other clubs, they exist for the benefit of their members. If you're a health club member, you get the benefits of that health club. If you're a golf club member, you get the benefits of being a member of that golf club, but golf course. But, but, but in Christianity, in followers of Christ in the local church, we exist for the benefit of those outside of our four walls. And you know what happens? That makes us even happier. That gives us even more joy. You know the funny thing about pursuing happiness? If you pursue happiness, if you pursue just me, 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 getting my own needs met, it'll always be just beyond your grasp. It's always just there. You can't quite get to it. But when instead you follow Jesus, living to serve other people, living to serve God, living to reach the people outside of these four walls, you know what happens? Happiness and joy comes tapping you on the shoulder and says, here I am. Jesus said it doesn't make any sense. He said it's up, down, but that's the way it's gonna work for followers of me. And so it's a place where we have an outward orientation, we're reaching people for Christ, and then they are followed up, and then in process they are followed up as they grow into maturity in Christ. And so we begin with verse one. The elder, that's John, the follower of Jesus. To my dear friend Gaius, now, Gaius is probably the most common name in the Roman Empire at this time. It is the most common name. It's like the name John in, in English. Our son John was Juan Carlos, and, and he kind of Americanized that to John when we adopted him when he was eight years old from an orphanage in Columbia, South America. And John's probably the most common name in English. Uh, uh, Jose, I was asking Jose here on the front. I just went by during worship, and I tapped him on the shoulder. I said, his name is Jose. And I go, what's the most common name in Espanol? And he goes, Jose, I said, I'll go with that. So there, there we have it right now. I, I probably should have Googled it. Somebody, you know what? Somebody Google it and give it to me before the next service. Then I will actually have facts to go behind what I'm saying here. So Gaius was probably the most common name. It was like John or like Jose in the ancient world. As a matter of fact, there are four Gaiuses in the New Testament. This is just one of four of them. Now, here's the two favorite words of John. We've seen it all through this series, love and truth. There he goes again. 
And we talked a couple weeks ago with the rubber band illustration that love and truth in tension with each other is what gives power to our church. If we have truth but no love, we're limp and lame and powerless. If we have love without truth, we're limp and lame and powerless. But you put love and truth in dynamic tension with each other, that's where the power comes within a church. Does anybody want to say uh, amen to that? That's where it comes from. Now, the next phrase here is dear friend. Now, this phrase, dear friend, is repeated over and over again, four different times. In addition to that, friends, your friends, and my friends is like a total of six times that friends are talked about just in these 200 words, just in these few verses of the little book of 3 John. They're repeated over and over again. And you know what this tells me is that the warmth of the early church is what drew people to following Jesus, that people just sensed it. These are people that loved each other. These are people with genuine friendships. Friends didn't start with the TV show Friends. Uh, friends started in the early church. The whole concept of loving and caring for each other, that's something that, that Jesus started. And, and here's something that hurts my feelings as a preacher and hurts uh, Jared's feelings as a, as a worship leader, hurts the feelings of our music people. Do you know that research shows that most people that visit a church decide if they're coming back to that church before the worship service even begins. You know that? They decide before they hear the awesome music, before they hear the mediocre sermon, before they hear either of those things, they're, they're just, they, they've decided. You know why? People, here's the two things people are looking to for when they visit a church. Number one, are there people like me here? Are there people like me at this church, they look around and say, are there people like me? Or do they all have three heads with five eyes and they're aliens, you know, from another planet? No, you know, they, they look around. Is there somebody like me here? And number two, are they kind? Are they kind? Are they loving? Are they gracious? Are there people like me here? And will they like somebody? Will they love somebody like me? Our staff can tell you. Um, <laughs> you ask any of the pastors or any uh, of the staff here, I don't. I rarely rant about things at, at a staff meeting. It, it's not very typical for me. But the one thing that will just hit my nerves is if I hear a story about a visitor being treated rudely at Purpose Church. Oh, my goodness, they know they're going to get an earful on that one. Why? Because that's somebody's first impression of Jesus. That's when they walk in here. And if somebody's kind and loving and gracious to them, they think Jesus must be kind and loving and gracious. But if they walk in here and, and, and somebody is unkind to them or rude to them, then, then they think that's what, that's what Jesus is. And they reject it before even taking their seat here uh, during, during the worship service. So people are looking for three things. Number one, they're saying, are there people like me here? Number two, uh, are people here, will they be like me or love me or be kind to me? Third thing they're looking for is where are the restrooms? And so when you help them find the restrooms, and where are the children's ministry? You help them, you see anybody looking for children's ministry, you walk them over to children's ministry. You see anybody walking them, uh, wants a restroom, you walk them over. Don't go in if it's not male or female, you're not, you're not male or female, but otherwise you, you walk in there. Now, people are always stealing our name and our core values here at our church. I mean, it's just happening all the time. Art Densmore from the orchestra, he sent me this that he took from his car. I hope it was a complete traffic jam and he was not taking this as he was going 75 miles an hour on the 605. But hydrate with purpose. Everybody's stealing our name here. And, and it gets even worse than that. Our core values, if I could have that cereal box. Now, this is the cereal box. You know Kimberly 
my wife, you know she's at the women's conference because this would never be allowed in our house if she were around. Chocolate peanut butter Cheerios. Does that look awesome or what? Does that look good? This is what we're talking about. Now, Kimberly would not allow this poison into our house, but hey, she's gone, so who cares what goes on now? Dad, dad, dad's in charge. And then on the back it says, we're better together. They went and ripped off one of our core values. But this is what they're talking about, we're better together. That's why we've combined the sweet taste of real cocoa and peanut butter into a single bowl of chocolate peanut butter Cheerios. That's what a healthy church looks like right there, all right? Uh, chocolate, uh, some of us are chocolate, some of us are peanut butter, uh, so, you know, some of us are Cheerios, and that's what a healthy church looks like. You can take that back. Thank you so very much. By the way, it's empty, so don't try to steal any of those because it won't do you any good. Now, we pick it up with verse 2. He says, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you. Now, this phrase here is used in almost every, so many letters in the Roman Empire at this time. This is such a common opening phrase. I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you. It was so common that they didn't even bother to write it out. They would do the abbreviation of the Greek words. It's kind of like texting. There are certain abbreviations that stand for certain phrases. Let me give you a little test, okay, and, uh, and, and see how you do on this, okay? LOL, what, what does that stand for, okay? Laugh out loud. Now, here's a couple that I didn't know. I texted our uh, communications director, Adrian Pichai, and Adrian is in his 20s, and I said, give me, give me a couple that are most common today and, and see if you do better than I did. I had never heard of these, these next two, so see if you're better than old man Glenn. All right, here we go. Uh, TBH, what does TBH mean? To be honest, see, you guys all know that. I didn't know that. OMW, not, not, not OMG. I don't, I don't care for that one, all right? But OMW, what does that stand for? On my way. You guys are so young and hip. All right. Finally, this is one he gave me that I did know. BTW. BTW. By the way, now that one I knew. Now, it's been advantage to those under the age of 60. Let me throw out one that's advantage those over 60 like me. Years ago, we would write a letter uh, to, to somebody, usually a girlfriend or boyfriend, write that letter, and then we'd lick the envelope, and, and, and we'd seal it, and we would write across the back of the envelope, S-W-A-K. Now, everybody over the age of 60, say it with me out loud together, sealed with a kiss. All right, seal with a kiss. How many of you didn't know that? How many of you did not? Okay, oh my goodness. Now I'm really, really feeling it. How many of you don't know what a letter is? Anybody know? Never, a letter? What's a letter? I've never heard about a letter. Okay. Now, John does the same thing here. Uh, or I don't know if he did. He, he didn't do it, actually. We have the full writing here. But it was very common just to put S-V-B-E-E-V, which was the first letters of those Greek words, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you. Now, John puts a Christian twist on it, even as your soul is getting along well. He knew Gaius so well that he said, you know what, Gaius, if, if your physical health is as good as your spiritual health, you're going to be in great shape. Now, some people, if their you know, physical health is a big emphasis in our culture today, as it should be, but some people, if their physical health was as good as their spiritual health, they'd drop dead tomorrow, or they'd be very sickly. Uh, by the grace of God, let's be like Gaius, 
who he said, John knew him so well, he says, you know what, I hope your physical health is as good as your spiritual health, because if it's true, you're going to be one healthy guy. Okay, let's pick it up with verse 3. He said, it gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. We're to walk in the truth. You don't just believe the truth. You don't just assent to the truth. You don't just believe it, but you live the truth. You obey the truth. You walk in the truth. A couple of days ago, I was behind a young lady at a stoplight, and she had Christian bumper stickers all over the back of her car. And I don't know if you're like this, but whenever I see bumper stickers of any type, I like to pull up next to the person and see what kind of person believes that kind of thing that's on their bumper. So, so I said, hey, I've never seen a Christian before. Let's see what one of them looks like. So, so, so I pull up beside her. I, I, I pull up beside her, and, uh, and, and she's driving and texting at the same time. All right. So, so now let he that has never done that cast the first stone. But uh, so John would say, don't, don't, not just walk in the truth, you got to drive in the truth. How many of you find that difficult in Southern California? We ought to drive in the truth. And then the, and then the next verse, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. This is my dad's favorite Bible verse. Here's a picture of my dad at uh, our, we- at our wedding, Kimberly, um, my wife, and at, at our wedding. As a matter of fact, some of you may say, Glenn, that kind of looks like you and Kimberly right now. Uh, <laughs> was that picture taken last week? <laughs> Every once in a while, when I put my glasses on, I'll look in the mirror and go, whoa, dad's back from heaven. Where did he, where, where did he come from? So, but, but my dad his, his favorite verse, he, he had it on this big decoupage thing over his desk at our home. Uh, back to the verse uh, once again. Uh, it says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. You know what signal that sent our family? It sent the signal that, yeah, Dad cared if we accomplished a few things in life. Yeah, Dad cared if we earned enough money to, to get by. Yeah, that, that was good. But the most important thing to my dad and my mom was that their children and grandchildren were walking in the truth. That was the highest uh, priority. And, and that's why I love our Oikos strategy. I, I just love our Oikos strategy. Everybody got one of the Oikos cards. Would everybody pull those out of your program? And I know we do this about once a year, but I'd like you to freshen up your list now because we've got, what, six or seven weeks until Easter? This is Big time outreach time for Purpose Church. Biggest outreach event, well, tied, I would say, with our Christmas events. Uh, Our biggest, uh, uh, the spring outreach events. And what you do is you write 15 people there that are in your oikos, the Greek Greek word for household. Uh, Write down there 15 people who either don't know Jesus or they're young Christians or brand new Christians. Uh, not, not mature Christians. Don't put mature Christians in there. Put either brand new Christians, new Christians, or somebody who is not yet following Jesus. And your assignment from God is to go to heaven and to take these 15 with you. And if you do that, we, we don't, you know, we love Billy Graham and evangelists, but this is the way. We love Christian radio. We love Christian television. But this is the way 99% of people have followed Jesus over the last 2,000 years is one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. And you put them down there and you begin to pray and you do those other things that are mentioned under where it says bless, uh, you're eight to 15. You do those things and don't you be discouraged 
if that name's on there for year after year. But I had the most exciting thing. A couple of months ago, there was a guy, a friend of mine, that was on this. He had been on my Oikos list for 15 years. And a couple of months ago, he shows up at church. Now he's following Jesus. He's been here ever since. Uh, 15 years, I was praying for him on my Oikos list. And, and, and God you know, worked in, in that way. So let's persevere on that. And the beautiful thing about the Oikos strategy is that once they come to Christ, they're already in your sphere of influence. So now you can disciple them. Now you can mentor them. Uh, now you can follow up with them and see if they're sticking with the faith or if, they are, if they're growing with the faith. Number two, a healthy church is a place where sacrifices are made to reach people for Christ. Now let me give you a background for the next four verses. Around 100 AD, there would be preaching teams that would travel around the Roman Empire and preach from church to church and from city to city. And because there were no hotels, the local church was supposed to put them up, give them hospitality, take them into their homes while they preached, and then financially give them enough money to get to the next church where another church would pick up the responsibility. Now this worked 99% of the time, but about 1% of the time it got abused. And it's the funniest thing, it's the coolest thing called the Didache, which in Greek means teaching. And it's basically a church procedural handbook from about a decade, about 10 years after the completion of the New Testament. So it's not another book of the Bible, it's not like the 67th book of the Bible. But it does give us like this fascinating insight into how thing, people did stuff in the early church. It's not considered scripture, but it's, but it's right during the time of, of the early church. And so it's so interesting. And so um, in the Didache, you read about this practice they had of supporting traveling preachers. And the Didache says this, if he, the traveling preacher, stays one or two days, that's fine. That's good. But if he stays for three days, he's a false prophet. So false prophet if he stays for an extra day. The Didache also said, it's fine to give him enough money to live. But if he hits you up for more money personally, he's a false prophet. Now the Didache would have uh, just loved Chris Brown who preached here last Sunday. And by the way, if you didn't get a chance to listen to that message, it was awesome. And go online and catch that message by Chris. But we have an inside joke among the staff. They teased me about this. Because Chris, whenever he speaks here, and we always give him a nice big honorarium. But every time he speaks here, uh, it's like a ritual. My assistant Tina gives him the check uh, before the 8.30 service. And then by the 9.45 or the 11.11 church service, he writes void over it, signs it over to the church, puts it back in the offering plate. So I know this. And so I base our guest preacher budget on the fact that he's going to give back uh, the money after it's over. And so the staff was teasing me about this, saying, you know, Glenn, if he, if he keeps it, I mean, he's got three kids about ready to go into college, he's, he's going to keep that thing. Or, or worse yet, maybe he's going to ask you for back pay and uh, back, back honorariums on this thing, you know, put his kids uh, through, through college. He says, your budget's going to be busted if he does that. Well, um, around Wednesday, I had Tina go up and check in the finance department. I said, find out how much money we've got to invite the next, next special speaker that we want to come. And sure enough, there was Chris's check signed over right back to the church, void. And he wrote this note on it. Thanks for your faith and trust in me many years ago. And for the privilege of calling this church my home church. 
Is that, is that awesome? And so this is, this is what the Didache, this is what the Didache is talking about. They, they would say, this is a true prophet. Now, in 2 John, the good guys are in charge of the church, but they're helping financially and in hospitality the false teachers. They're being too nice. Remember I said 2 John is about Christians who love too much without boundaries, and 3 John is about Christians who love too little. They're being too nice. They're financially supporting the false teachers, the cult leaders. And so John goes, cut it out. Now in 3 John, the bad guys have taken over the church, and they're refusing to help legitimate preachers and they're kicking out of the church anyone who helps financially the legitimate preachers. Now, Gaius is one of the church members who helped these good preachers, even though it got him into trouble with the church leadership. So let's pick it up with verse 5. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. Now, there are two Greek words here that are so cool. A Philadelphia the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, phileo, brotherly or sisterly love, Delphia city. Okay, this is, this is called Philadelphia, a love of the brothers and sisters in Christ. But he also says, even though they are strangers to you, philozenia, philo meaning love, xenia meaning strangers. You know, uh, xenophobia is a fear of people different than you or different than strangers. As followers of Christ, we are supposed to be a lover of the brothers and sisters of Christ and also a lover of strangers. That's what we're supposed to be, that's what we're supposed to be known for, even though they are strangers for you. Now, here's a couple of trivia things for you. Esther is the only book in the Old Testament that never mentions God. I mean, the fingerprints of God are all over the book of Esther, but he's never mentioned by name. Third John is the only book in the New Testament that doesn't mention Jesus. But that's not really true because of the next phrase here. Let's go on to verse 7. It says in, in, in verse uh, 7, uh, they told the church, or 6, they told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. Then, then on to verse 7. It was for the sake of the name. And this is synonymous with Jesus. In the early church, when you said the name, like in the Old Testament, when you say the name, that's synonymous for Yahweh, for God. But in the New Testament, when you say the name with a capital N, that means the name, it's synonymous with Christ. So even though his proper name is never in there, he certainly is mentioned. It was for the sake of the name that they went out receiving no help from the pagans. Now, this phrase here, let's go back there. Let's go back to verse 7. No help from the pagans. This is not meant to be a nasty, you pagans, you, you, you pagans there. No, uh, it's a technical term meaning people in the Roman Empire that were not followers of Jesus. So it wasn't meant to be a kind of a nasty term. It was a technical term. Just It basically means non-Christians or non-Christ followers. Now, I said here, you need to support them because they won't receive help, financial help from the pagans, from the non-followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, just this past week, uh, David Hunt sent me an article of some current research, and I've shared this kind of research with you before. Uh, I've shared it with you before, and, uh, but this is some fresh research that just came out that says that the greatest determiner as to whether a person is generous to charity or not is how often they attend church. And this is what secular, this is a secular study, secular research. So they would say that a person that attends church every Sunday is more generous on the whole, on the average, than a person that attends every other week, and uh, more generous than a person that attends once a month, or, or once a year, or never attends at all. 
And so the greatest disparity would be to somebody that attends church every Sunday to them, somebody that, that never goes to church. And they are the greatest in generosity, not only with Christian causes, but, non, but secular causes like America Cancer Society or like uh, the Red Cross, including blood donations. That is, how regularly you attend church is the greatest research determiner as to how regularly you do blood donations. Now, next Sunday, we're going to have a blood drive here at the church. And I'm telling you, if you show up on clock change day and give blood, I can't even imagine how many thousand feet you're going to add to your heavenly mansion. I, I just can't even. You're going to get a swimming pool to boot and a tennis court. I'm, I'm telling you if you do that. Now, what he says here is that even though it's good that Christians give to these other causes, he says we need by far to give the greatest priority to ministries and organizations that spread the name of Christ because we're the only ones that are going to do that. And so Kimberly and I like to give to some of those other organizations, but we don't give very much to them. We want the vast majority of our giving to go to places that non-believers will not support because they spread the name of Christ and they do good in the name of Jesus. So we're to be a place where sacrifices are made to reach people for Christ. Sacrifices are made to reach people for Christ. Uh, sacrifices in finances, in time, in energy, in flexibility. Now here's the hardest one. This is the hardest one of all. In openness to change. One of the, hard, the greatest sacrifices for followers of Christ is to be open to changes that need to happen in order to reach more people for Christ. Um, a couple months ago, Kimberly and I, through a family connection, were asked to meet with some Christians from another church down in Orange County that was going through difficulty and struggles as they transitioned from more traditional music to more contemporary music. I can't imagine a church struggling with that in, in, in any way. You know, I mean, it never happened to our church, but it happens to other churches. It happened to them. So, so we're in there, and for like an hour, hour and a half, I'm being totally political. I'm being totally pastoral. Oh, this must be so hard for you. And maybe you can see it from this perspective. Or maybe your pastors, I was trying to support their pastors and saying, well, maybe they see it from this way. And for like, like an hour, an hour and a half, I'm just kind of talk, talking uh, to them that way. And my wife, Kimberly, is just sitting there silently the whole time. So the pastor and the politician is talking. The prophet is remaining silent. The prophetess is remaining silent. And finally, she can't take it anymore. She just blurts out, and I wrote it down so that I get it precisely. If, she just blurts out, if worship in the future involves banging frying pans on your head, and if that is what reaches my grandchildren for Christ, I will worship by banging a frying pan on my head. <laughs> and, and everything got quiet. And we all just kind of looked at her, you know. And that was the only thing they remembered from the night. They didn't remember anything else from the night. Uh, Pastor Eric uh, was talking to me the other day, and, and Pastor Eric preaches everywhere, all over the country. He just preaches like everywhere. And, um, and he was telling me, I won't say the state and I won't say the band, but at one of the conferences he was speaking at, there was a very cutting-edge band. And he said, I was sitting there, and I was like, wow, this is too cutting-edge even for me. Is this what the future holds for my kids, Charlie and Brinley and Lila and, and Levi? Is, is, this what, is this what it holds? And, and he said, I, he began to say the typical complaints that you hear. For 200, 300 years, 
you always hear these complaints about the next generation of music. I mean, you heard it about those in the early 1800s about the music that came in the late 1800s. And those in the late 1800s for the music that came in the early 1900s. This is always what you hear for hundreds of years. This is what you hear even back like 500 years ago. These are the typical complaints you always hear about the next generation of worship music. Three things. Number one, it's too loud. Number two, it's too hard to sing with. And number three, it's more of a performance than a worship experience. Uh, and he said, and he was saying those same kind of things about this band. And then all of a sudden the light went off and he says, my goodness, is this what my generation has done to the previous generation? And I said, oh, my son, my son. <laughs> Enlightenment has fallen on you. You are now ready to pastor a multi-generational church. Yeah, the, the, the enlightenment, the enlightenment has come. By the grace of God, we will be a place where sacrifices are made to reach people for Christ. Financial sacrifices, time sacrifices, flexibility sacrifices, uh, openness to change sacrifices, all done in order uh, to just reach more people for Christ. And then number three, a place where checks and balances there are checks and balances through a plurality of church leadership. Now, I didn't, I was mad at myself. I didn't mean to make it this sound this fancy, okay? It just means, Chris, Chris preached on this last Sunday, where you have multiple leaders, so there's shared leaders, which provides checks and balances on our pride and ego. And so far in John's letter, the problem has been theological, but it's been false teaching. But now the problem is more personality-driven. He says in verse 9, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he's doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us, not satisfied with that. He even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. An unhealthy church has a diatrophies uh, at the head of it. A healthy church has multiple Demetriuses in leadership. Um, as the praise band comes back up, let's just meet Demetrius, and then we're going to close with one more praise song. Uh, number four, a place where there is a consistency of Christian lifestyle. Uh, verses 11 through 14. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Verse 12. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends, I love that. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. And so ends the letters of John the beloved follower of Jesus, the eyewitness to the resurrection of the Christ, one of the greatest leaders of the greatest movement in human history, uh, the church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be honor and glory forever and ever. By the grace of God, we as a church will spend our remaining years on this earth in the passionate pursuit of spreading the glory of of his name. And all God's family said,